It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way, and Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe, on your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. Second hour, Light the Tower underway. And uh, we'll check back in with Jeff Howe, uh, bottom of the hour, with our second hour Longhorn Notebook. Uh, also, uh, what uh, some feel might be the most dangerous NCAA tournament upset scenarios. We'll, uh, we'll get to those a little bit later on. Also, just around the corner, we're going to visit with Gene Watson, Assistant General Manager of the Kansas City Royals, get a baseball spring training update. That's coming up momentarily, but here in the second hour, right now it's time for another Flex 30 update. Flex ATX for the best high school sports coverage. Listen to the horn and go to flxatx.com. Flex 30 is brought to you by Brain Vault. Brain Vault is a revolutionary and patented mouth guard that has been proven to help reduce the risk of concussion. Visit brainvault.com and join the movement. Okay, so uh, for this Flex 30 update, we need go no farther than to the nice little squared-off cubicle booth where our producer, Cameron Parker, plies his trade as our producer, but also was plying his trade and working his craft most recently, last night, in checking out some action and... I yield the floor to you, Mr. Parker, to uh, update folks on some future Texas Longhorns. Yeah, first thing, Craig, uh, last night, Zach Lucero and Nolan Hogan, Hogan recorded a uh, Flex ATX podcast because Texas baseball is tonight against North Dakota State University, I believe a 6 o'clock pregame, 6.15 maybe. Uh, yep. So no show tonight, live show. They record a podcast that updated and just recapped a little bit of the 2023 high school basketball season. Check that out on flexatx.com. But last night, Craig, saw two possible future UT players, two UT commits, Round Rock High School pitcher Travis Sakura, uh, six foot five. Have seen him pitch twice now on two broadcasts. He's had about 15 to 20 MLB scouts behind home plate watching. I do not expect him to play a single inning at the University of Texas. Uh, he went up against Rich Morgan last night, a junior who's also a UT commit, just uh, committed recently couple weeks ago over Tennessee and Vanderbilt a great game Sakura Craig I mean he, he is so much fun to watch he's six foot five his fastball tops out about 100 miles per hour don't wow. know what he reached last night but he did throw a perfect game in five innings but unfortunately yeah. for us spectators he's on a pitch count um, from John Carter so two games so far I've seen him pitch against uh, Fister Ridge Westwood he's given up one hit uh, 25 strikeouts I think in two games and has given up zero runs. Ridge Morgan, on the other hand, pitched a really good game. He's got about six pitches, apparently. Now, his fastball is not where Sakura's at. He's about 92 where he tops out at, but he's got some great movement. He's got a, a splitter, a 12-6 curveball, sliders. He's got some other stuff. I, I, he may even have a knuckleball that he's working on right now. Wow. He, he's very talented. 
uh, gave up zero earned runs. His defense kind of let him down. That game ended up 2-0. It, it was cold and windy out there at Dragon Diamond and Round Rock, but it was a fun matchup to watch. If you're in the Round Rock area and you're a Texas fan and you want to see a possible future big leaguer, go out and find Travis DeCore because he, he, he has got some nasty stuff, Craig. And <laughs> really sad he won't be able to pitch on the 40 acres, but he's got a bright future ahead of him and an even better kid as well. No doubt about that. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, toward that end, and that's our Flex 30 update. Toward that end, we'll, we're going to talk some baseball here momentarily with our man Gene Watson, the assistant general manager of the Kansas City Royals. Uh, he's been sequestered out in Surprise, Arizona, with spring training going on. And uh, we are, after all, just talking about being a couple of weeks away from the start of the Major League Baseball season, the brand-new uh, 2023 Major League Baseball season. So it's just around the corner. So anyway, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll do that coming on. Uh, but I, I do want to go to the uh, Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina hotline and uh, welcome to uh, once again to the program, uh, the assistant GM for the Kansas City Royals, our good friend Gene Watson, who is here. How are things in Arizona? Sunny and warm, I would imagine. It's actually freezing and cold and rain. But Is it thanks. really? I'm going to Miami Friday, though. So, oh, yeah, we got a bad weather day today. Games are getting called off around the valley, and it's probably mid-40s, early, young, uh, low 50s, and raining, and it's going to rain all day. And tonight's my annual s'mores night for all the Royals kids. That's in jeopardy right now. So, we got a lot <laughs> going on out here. What, no, wait a minute. What's the annual s'mores night? So for 17 years now, tonight would be year 17, we have all the front office coaches, managers, kids come to the Wigwam Resort, uh, swimming, music, uh, s'mores night. It's They call it Uncle Snacks' s'mores night. It's Did we lose Gino? For tonight, so oh, there we go. we'll have to wait and see. A decision's coming at 4 o'clock. Okay. All right. Okay. Um I want to ask you about some. This was something I wanted to talk to you about the last time. We didn't have a, a time to do it. Um, uh, and and it's interesting, as Chance would have it, there was a story I think I saw on ESPN, uh, and it, it mainly dealt with uh, Rafael Devers, who just you know signed that new 10-year, $313.5 million extension in, in January. But it has to do uh, with leadership, with a ball club. And I think that the, the – the slant of the story was that is it can he be a leader? He's he's obviously a producer, that kind of thing, and and put the numbers up and just an, a fabulous talent as well. Uh, can he be a leader? Now that's that's kind of the angle of the story. I what I had wanted to talk to you about really was leadership in the clubhouse and how early does that get established. Uh, you know, in, in spring training, you've got some veterans back. But if you have a team with a lot of younger guys and and your own ball club is is, is building uh, through your draft and through your minor league system and your development as well, how you reach that point, how you recognize it, how do you personally, Gino, recognize it as a front office guy when leadership is being developed? and Because it's an inexact science and it's, and it's not a tangible really thing. So how, how do you make it work? Well, it's really, really organic, and it, it begins and ends with what kind of club you have. Is it a championship-level club? Is it a 
up and coming young club and uh you know that's where it begins then it gets into like what's the culture been prior to the complexion of your team right now for instance uh if you look at some clubs that they say well the only thing they need is a good clubhouse leader or you know it's it's a very loose ship they need somebody to come and organize it and you bring that guy in that you think is going to be that guy uh even then it's a very slippery slope because they can't just come in and take over as a free agent come into a situation where the team's been in place for four or five years i'll use our 2014 team as an example we had a very young team and Raul Abanez, uh was released by the LA Angels. And I was actually at the Big A covering the Angels when it happened. And I called Dayton Moore. I said, Dayton, we need to claim Raul Abanez. We traded for him. <clears throat> and Raul came in. Everybody knew the leader he was. But he came in and he, said, he let things marinate and just observed and watched the way things went. And we went into the All-Star break and out of the All-Star break on a losing streak. And that's when he struck. And he brought the team together. And he said, you guys don't know how good you guys can be. But these are the things that you've got to improve on. And that was the defining moment of that team moving forward and moving on to the World Series. Fast forward to 15, we're in Seattle giving him his ring. And he said, hey, guys, this is great. I love it. But you guys aren't finished yet. You've got more to accomplish. And so I think a lot of this has to do with, you know, where your major league team is from a build standpoint or a championship mindset. But then also, you know, what has the clubhouse been? Because clubhouses are living breathing organisms but it's also very organic in the way they come together and it could be one great play one blown save one walk-off home run that completely changes the dynamic of a season and i think that uh, you know when you look at uh, the astros flipping the switch in that division it was an early season brawl with the texas rangers where texas had just dominated houston i think they'd won 16 out of 18 and they had an early season brawl with them in Houston, and it was Houston telling Texas, we're not taking it anymore. And that's when they went on their run. It's, it's really a, an organic thing that you can't really put a pencil to. Wow. So uh, that's, that makes it – okay, so then when you're trying to mix that in with young guys, uh, sometimes it, it, it makes for some difficult decisions as well. Here's, here's, a, here's, an, op- here's a, uh, an example of, of what we're talking about. Um, story came out that the Braves have optioned Ian Anderson, who's a fabulous talent, as you know, to uh, Gwinnett, their AAA affiliate. And this is a guy who had – remember, he had five hitless innings in game three of the World Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, that kind of thing. And they've optioned him and the lifetime longhorn, Bryce Elder, to Gwinnett. And, and both of those guys have been competing for the fifth stop, uh, spot – in the brave starting rotation, I mean, these are the kind of those real difficult decisions that start happening this week, don't they, in uh, spring training camps? No question. And a lot of those decisions are based right now, this year, based solely on the World Baseball Classic. And so many teams have so many players at the World Baseball Classic that they don't know what the players are going to look like coming out of it. For instance, we needed Brady Singer uh, to throw three innings the other night to get him stretched out for his start. He was going to be our opening day starter. And and in only going two, now he's lost his pitch count. And now we've got to hope that the rest of the tournament he can build it back up to be ready for opening day. So a lot of these decisions that you're seeing with clubs right now uh, are really based on you know what's taking place in the World Baseball Classic and how they feel their team could set up 
coming out of it. And young guys like that, they need, they're not going to get the innings that they need in major league games right now. So you get them down to the minor leagues. You can more, you can control the setting a little bit more and, and you're, you know that they're reaching their pitch count so that uh, on opening day and over the first two weeks of the season, they come, come back up and have their pitch counts up. Okay. All right. And now you just got to the other part that I wanted to ask you about. And that is uh, the, how, clubs are going about balancing and you just kind of outlined a little bit of it uh their makeup of the roster and how they're setting it up uh not just for opening day but for the early days of the season juxtaposed against what's going on with the world baseball classic right now because i know folks are excited about it at the baseball level and you're getting a chance to see this but uh how, how do you make all that work very taxing craig it's really really tough to manage and massage and you still don't know with another week to go. Uh, you saw Freddie Freeman go down yesterday with a hamstring injury with Team Canada. You know, how will that affect, you know, the Dodgers opening day week? I mean, you, there's just so much residual. And it's an incredible event. I've been covering it out here in Phoenix, and I'll be headed to Miami on Friday morning. And it's an incredible event, but you just don't know how it's going to impact your major league team. Uh, the Angels have 14 players in it. We have 10. Uh, I think Padres have 17. When your guys aren't playing together every day in this type of setting, and not just playing the games, but they come out of the game in the fifth inning, they get showered, they get dressed, they go have dinner together collectively. The the, the synergy of your team and the momentum of your team moving into the season is kind of disrupted. And I think you're going to see some teams uh, kind of get off to slower starts because they're, they, they haven't played that much together this spring. And so that coupled with the residual effect of them getting their at-bats, getting, you know, Bobby Witt Jr.'s only gotten a couple at-bats a game. If he's with us, he's getting four and, and, and five a night. So it's all going to have an early residual effect on teams starting the season. But I think everybody understands that it's a, it's a tremendous event. It's great for the game globally. It's been great for, uh, for the exposure of Major League Baseball and its stars. And so you kind of you just kind of navigate through the whole entire uh, system of it. Uh, by the way, can I can I just say this? As uh, you know me as a long-suffering fan of the Dodgers, how weird it is to see uh, Freddie Freeman playing for Team Canada and Trace Thompson hitting home runs for Team Great Britain. That that that's that's a, that's a weird deal. I mean, we're used to seeing obviously the players that came up in the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and Cuba play for their respective home countries. We we've gotten used to that over the past several years, but then all of a sudden it's like. Freddie Freeman's playing for Canada, and 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 Trace Thompson is is playing for England. That sort of thing we didn't know. Who knew, right? Until you know, right? Tommy Edmonds playing for uh, for yeah. Korea, and and Alan Carter's playing for China, and it, it, it's a great way. Uh, Nicky Lopez is playing for Italy. He grew up in Illinois. It's a great way <laughs> for them to honor their families and their heritage. Uh, you know, my son was asked to play for for Great Britain, and, and the lineage was was one step too far for him to do it. But it, it's it's just a great way to personalize the game with between these players and their families. And Freddie Freeman's been very vocal of the fact that, you know, he didn't know if his mom would want him to play for Team Canada or not, but he wanted to honor her. And and that so that's been very important uh uh to him. There have been story like Rio Gomez yesterday, uh the son of my my great and dear friend Pedro Gomez that passed away three years ago, you know, his mother's from Columbia. To see him on that mound for Team Columbia was such a joy for everybody 
that that knew Pedro and knew how much he loved his son and loves the game of baseball. So there's so many great stories that come uh, from this and, and guys getting to make appearances for their, their native countries. No doubt about it. He's Gene Watson. He's the assistant general manager of the Kansas City Royals. Checks in with us. We do uh, our periodical conversations with Gino to talk Major League Baseball, and we are getting closer to opening day. Um, you know, uh, Gino wanted me to go out there because you're you're opening what on on the seas on the road, uh, taking a look at the Diamondbacks who are opening with the Dodgers. You were trying to nudge me to go out there. I don't know if my schedule is going to allow it, but, but heck, I sure would like to do that. You know. Well, it's there. actually been pushed back because I'm going to open up in Houston because we just bought a home in Montgomery. So I'm going to be pushed what? back a little bit. I'll let you know because you need okay. to come out to Dodger Stadium with me. We'll have a blast. Yeah, we'll. we'll. All right. Thanks, Gino. Appreciate it. We'll check in again and do another uh, – we'll do a major league, our big major league seasonal preview right before the start of the season. All right, Craig. Have a great day. Thanks, man. You too. Bye-bye. That's Gene Watson, assistant general manager of the Kansas City Royals. All right. We need a break. When we come back, uh, we check back in with Jeff Howe. Uh, my co-host, and of course from Horns 24-7, and get our second hour Longhorn Notebook. We'll talk some Longhorn basketball from here in Des Moines, side of the NCAA tournament, when we continue with Light the Tower on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. in California, in Des Moines, Iowa. But enjoy listening to the Mamas and Papas <laughs> on occasion anyway. So uh, we'll uh, navigate this sort of stuff coming up. Uh, let's uh, let's go back to the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina hotline where my co-host Jeff Howe is ready for our second hour Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. A Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Aaron Bowersock, your home loan expert, your Longhorn lender. Check her out on the web at bowersockteam.com. Okay, so Jeff, how how often have you heard coming into this about Longhorns better be ready for this, better be wary, Colgate shoots threes, lots of threes, good at shooting the threes, lead the nation in threes. You, you've heard that a lot, right? Just, just a little bit, just a little yeah. bit in the last couple of days. Uh, but you know, I was looking at Colgate's statistical profile, Craig, and actually, you know, we've seen Texas struggle at times this year to defend the three-point line. I was looking at, you know, Colgate makes on average about eight threes a game. And if you look at, I mean, granted, when you're number two seed and, uh, you know, your record's 26-8 and eight on the year, you're going to win a lot of games. But even games where Texas has allowed more than, you know, eight or more threes in a game – uh, the record's not that bad. The only losses, you know, four of their eight losses are in that stretch. Uh, at Baylor, at Iowa State, they allowed nine, uh, ten in that overtime game at the Garden against Illinois. And then kind of the anomaly of the whole season was 13 in that 116-103 loss to K-State at home. Uh, but, you know, Texas, they're, they're better right nationally defending the three-point line than I thought. You know, allowing less than 33% from three, 
they're almost the top 100 defense in the country defending the three-point line. So, like I said, a little bit better than I thought. But you start digging into Colgate's statistical profile, Craig, and, you know, you look at the things that could give Texas trouble. Now, obviously, anybody that shoots the three well is going to give themselves a chance. Uh, and, and one thing I'll say about Colgate, they don't turn the ball over a ton. They're averaging right about 10 turnovers a game. But they're not a team that they're not a great offensive rebounding team. Uh, you know, they're, they're not great defensively at all. They're, to me, as long as there's just not some big, huge lapse by Texas, to me, there's not enough Colgate can do in those problem areas for Texas where this should be a game where, you know, at that last media timeout of the second half, you're really sweating this one out. Yeah. Here's, here's the thing that comes to mind for me about this. In matchups of double-digit seeds against uh, very highly uh, seeded teams, 14 versus 3, like we saw two years ago, 15s versus 2s, uh, even even 13s versus 4s. Uh, those, that's kind of a tear up. We know about the 12 versus 5s and those upsets. Uh, happen every year. We see a 12 beat a 5. It's happened almost every year, I think, since, uh, but two, since 1990. Um, the, 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 one of the common threads is, is that one team, the double-digit team, has a really good shooting night, which is certainly possible in the case of Colgate, and the other team has a horrible shooting night, which was the case of the Longhorns two years ago. Um, I don't know how much of that, if anything, had to do with, you know, the, the curtainy backdrop and playing inside Lucas Oil State, you're not going to blame it for that because the Longhorns just play poorly a, a lot of that ball game. But um, they're, they're real common threads on that because they say if you can shoot threes, you know, that's how uh, you had it uh, last year with St. Peter's knocking off Kentucky. That's a 15 beating a two. It, it, it does happen on that. But to your point, defending the three becomes very Important. If you're if you're not allowing them to get incredibly comfortable shooting the three and making threes, then probably you're going to get a lot of rebounds out and, and get your transition game going, and then it gets gets you back into your regular flow of play. Yeah, and uh, you know the other thing, Craig, and I, I remember we talked about this when the bracket got unveiled two years ago, and we saw that Apple and Christian was the draw. You know, that Texas team, you know, even though they won the Big 12 tournament and they had some big wins that year, you know, beating Kansas on the road, chief among them, uh, that was a team that could turn the ball over. And you look at that style that Joe Golden plays defensively, you know, he's from that Chris Beard coaching tree. Uh, They really want to get after you and try to turn you over defensively. That was the one area that I said, look, if there's going to be a problem in this game, it's going to be turnovers, and they had that team had maybe their worst turnover game of the year that night against a team that wants to turn you over. And then when they get in the half court, uh, they want to run their motion offense and, and really slow the game down, kind of shorten it a little bit. So, um, but yeah, again, you know, if, if Colgate was a re- that's the, the teams that I'm worried about, Craig Texas facing in this tournament are teams. And I know I know I keep hammering home this statistic. But teams that are really good offensive rebounding teams, I know we talk about rebounding just in terms of margin and just looking at raw numbers, but when you in the TCU game is the one to me that sticks out like a sore thumb, the, the game they lost in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got a team that's a really good offensive rebounding team, they can get themselves multiple possessions. You, you can be a really good one-possession defensive team. It's really hard to be a really good three- or four-possession defensive team in, in one sequence. So, but Colgate's not that kind of team. And, again, I think with the length that Texas has, 
I think that's an advantage. And the other thing, too, Craig, that I was looking at, you know, you think, hey, can, can, can you get Texas in foul trouble? Can you, you know, can you force the issue? Can you try to get dribble penetration? Because we know that's been given Texas issues this year. Colgate's one of the worst free throw shooting teams in the country. So, again, not really something where their statistical – not to say they can't, their statistical profile tells you they're not really equipped to do that like we've seen some teams do with Texas where free throw differential can, can be a difference in the game. Sure. That's not the kind of game Colgate wants to play. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now, uh, four years ago when I was doing for uh, Westwood One, I did the game between Colgate and Tennessee, and that was a 15 and a 2 as well, or maybe it was a 14 and a 3. But in any, in any event, Colgate played Tennessee very tough in that game, and, and the Volunteers pulled away late. And the reason why it was a tough game is because they were cold shooting. Colgate was left alone, knocked down a lot of threes early in the game, and they didn't get themselves in the foul difficulty. And uh, and and that was a big that was a big part of it. So I mean, it's a lot of the regular recipes for success in a game, and less about worrying about the Cinderella that can all of a sudden find lightning in a bottle. We see it every year, as we've talked about. Uh, but you kind of also have to play into their hands a bit. And and I think the Longhorns definitely did that two years ago in the matchup with Abilene Christian. Uh, the mindset of this team strikes me differently than that team does. And and the the mannerism and the way this team goes about it, maybe it has something to do with six seniors on it. I don't know. Uh, it probably does. But it, it just strikes me differently than, than say, uh, the team two years ago or in the way that, you know, some – very higher-seeded teams have to deal with double-digit seeds. Yeah, I think there's a – you said it earlier, Craig, there's a there's a professionalism about this team. And I, I think, that, you know, I was thinking about this on the on the travel up here because, you know, when you've got a, a, an hour longer delay than expected in, in the Charlotte uh-huh. Airport, you've got really nothing to do except sit around and think. You know, talking to guys like Marcus Carr, and, I mean, we, we had Timmy Allen on the show when he made his decision to come back. A lot of those guys talked about the guys that were on that team last year talked about the way it ended for them in Milwaukee, you know, being that close to getting by Purdue and getting to the second weekend. And then once you get to that second weekend, now you've given yourself a chance to really go make a run at a national championship. They felt like they were so close and didn't play their best game, but showed plenty of signs through the year that, hey, even in the year where this roster was thrown together and guys are learning roles, you came really close to being one of the one of the 16 teams left standing with a chance to win it. So I think that motivation, a lot of the focus has been, you know, getting the march. But you know, I know Rodney Terry and his players are going to be asked today about everything they've been through this year, especially with Chris Beard having that introductory press conference at Ole Miss yesterday. But when you look at how this team responded to that, and, and credit Rodney Terry with this, and, and RT has lived this this season. You take it day by day. You take one 40-minute game by one 40-minute game. I know that sounds cliche, but that's really how this team has lived. This team has had to live right where their feet are. That's why, Craig, I don't worry about this team looking ahead to, oh, man, are we going to play A&M? Can we get to the Elite Eight and play Houston? I would be floored if 100% of the focus for this team today leading up to tomorrow isn't 100% on Colgate. That's just how this team has operated the entire year. Yeah, uh, I, I like how you you know I I mentioned this yesterday. I I like the um, the Rodney Terry line of uh, live where your feet are, and, and and the guys have had a lot of fun with some of Rodney's phrases 
like meat and potatoes, uh, you know, some of the other <laughs> stuff, some of his phrases and all that. But they all seem to like to live where your feet are as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, can, I get to this, can I get yeah. these Marcus Carr numbers real quick? Oh, right. right. Yeah, we'll, absolutely. Uh, Forgot about that. Numbers. Yes. Yeah. So uh, my guy Isaac Trotter, who covers uh, some national basketball for us at 24-7 Sports, was looking at, you know, kind of X factors in the tournament. And one of his X factors is Marcus Carr, but not for maybe the reason that you think about. You know, we think about Marcus Carr now as kind of the closer, the guy that's going to get you a clutch bucket. Uh, but it, it's probably going to be his decision-making that makes a difference for Texas in this run because, honestly, the numbers show – Jabari Rice has been the best closer for Texas this year. So this is using synergy and a lot of advanced statistical platforms. Uh, Marcus Carr right now on 64 late clock chances is averaging 0.69 points per possession. uh, And he's shooting 27.1% from the floor in those late clock chances. Jabari Rice on 43 late clock scenarios this season, 1.07 points per possession. And he's shooting over 51% from the floor in those late clock situations. So if it's a critical possession where the shot clock's winding down, can you get the ball in Jabari Rice's hands? Because he's shown the numbers show he's been your best clutch shooting guy this year. It's Marcus Carr's decision-making. And I agree with Isaac. That's going to be a really big thing for Texas in terms of maximizing this tournament run. Does he make the right decision? There's going to be times in a game where it's an ISO situation, everything clears out for him, and you're, you'll trust him to go one-on-one. But there are going to be times, and, and, you know, hopefully for Texas, the Colgate game isn't one of them, but there's going to be times if they want to get to where they want to be where it's going to be about making the right decision. There's going to be times where uh, it needs to be somebody else other than Marcus Carr with the ball in their hands late in the clock, specifically Jabari Rice. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, before we let you go, have you, have you done a bracket yet? I have not. No, not yet. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, and I'm, I'm I'm not going to ask you to uh, to to pick anything, but I, but I do want to uh, run down some of these things and just and real quick here and see and get your uh, perspective on this. Now uh, I know that uh, Bucky and Aaron had some what they thought were uh, the big uh, upsets that could happen. They used one service to do that. I was looking at ESPN Plus's deal. Uh, this was something that John Gasway and Matt Eisenberg wrote. It's called Giant Killers. And and so they list the uh, the ten top ten most likely upsets of the first round, and I want, I want to see if you agree or not. Uh, their number one is VCU as a twelve against the number five St. Mary's upset chance. They put it forty three percent. Agree? Disagree? No, I've, I've seen I've ended up seeing way too much of St. Mary's this year, so I don't know if that's biased on my part. I, I think that's a really good basketball team. Okay, all right. Uh, this one uh, needs a little freshing updating. It has Iowa State against <clears throat> Mississippi State. Yeah, they got beat by Pitt last night in the first four. But let's just say Pitt versus Iowa State. Would you would you give Jeff Capel's team a, a shot to, to, to beat Iowa State? First of forty wins. Um, yeah. No, not when you've got a not the the fact that you've got a guy in Gabe Kalsher who can you know have a seven three pointer game just on yep. a whim. Uh, mm. Yeah. No, I I, I I like Iowa State. All right, I'm going to give you one more because this is one that I think could happen. Twelve versus five, Charleston against San Diego State. They they yeah, listed a forty one percent. Yeah. 
yeah, if you can, if you can, you know, make play the game at your pace, which yeah. with Charleston King, yeah, uh, that's that's one of those that I think is going to be a pretty trendy five twelve upset. Yeah, they're I a physical team. They they offensively rebound really well, and if you can rebound and maybe knock down a few threes, you got a chance to win. Uh, all right, hey, I'll yeah, uh, I'll the see Brian Dutcher, Steve Fisher, the Brian yeah. Dutcher, Steve Fisher, San Diego State program. They they have a hard time scoring, you know, when they get to when they get to March. Exactly. Uh, I guess I'll see you over at Wells Fargo Arena in a little while. Yep, here in a bit. I'm about to walk out the door right now. Okay. All right. I'll see you over there. Thanks. All right. Sounds good, Craig. That is uh, my co-host, Jeff Howe. I'll see him over at the arena. We'll be back to wrap up today's edition of Light the Tower here on the Horn. All right. We're done for today's show from Des Moines. Tomorrow on the program, obviously, we'll have more of the preview of this and we'll hear from Rodney Terry and other Longhorns. The press conferences are today. So we'll do that tomorrow as we bring you uh, the program. Thanks to Gene Watson joining us as well. And uh, for my co-host, Jeff Howe, and for our man making it all roll smoothly through our producer, Cam Parker. I'm Craig Wade. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned. Chad and Zay are up next. We'll visit with you tomorrow morning on Tournament Day from here in Des Moines, Iowa. On Light the Tower.